What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, alongside here on Tuesday, March 23rd, as the Cardinals sit just a little bit over a week away from the start of the regular season. Opening day, April 1st, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome into the show. Going to talk at this point in the spring, right? It's getting to that point where we have to start kind of taking our guesses and at least looking at the conversation surrounding what the roster is going to look like. We've talked about starting rotation. We've talked about starting lineup and and who we think is going to be the primary names penciled into that as the season goes along. But we haven't done too much talk about kind of the rest of how the roster is going to shape out. So we're going to focus in a little bit today on the bench. Definitely timely as in Tuesday's game, the Cardinals, the St. Louis tires, I guess I should say, because all they ever do is tie these spring training games, tied another one against the Washington Nationals 5-5, to but this time it came as a result of a late game rally, the Cardinals scoring three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning in order to get the score tied at 5-5, they entered that inning trailing 5-2, to and talking about the bench competition, the competition is definitely heating up as in that three-run rally in the ninth inning. Cardinals got a home run from Austin Dean, somebody who's certainly vying for a spot on that Cardinals bench, and then gets contributions from Justin Williams, who doubled. Going to be interesting to see what his uh, near future looks like, as still I don't believe there's been any resolution on the, the question as to whether he will get a fourth option year or not. If I'm Justin Williams, and he's answered the questions as he's supposed to and says it doesn't really matter to me, I'm just going to focus on what I can focus on. But if I'm Justin Williams internally, I'm hoping I don't get that fourth option because I don't think the Cardinals are going to want to expose him to waivers if, uh, if, if they don't have to. And so they'll probably find a spot for him on the bench. And if that happens, which, again, this resolution could come at any time, with the COVID season, there are a number of players who are waiting on a ruling from MLB, I guess it is, that has to determine whether or not there's an extra option year for some of these players that were that 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 used up an option year last year but otherwise wouldn't have. And so Justin Williams has had a solid spring, OPS around 740, not as good as some of the other outfielders like Austin Dean with the home run today is up to 833, I believe, for his OPS, having a pretty good spring and has gotten plenty of opportunities. But Dean, is he a first baseman? Is he an outfielder? Not really as as athletic as far as uh, where you expect to be able to use him defensively. Justin Williams, though, kind of profiles as well as a corner outfielder, not somebody you'd think they would look at in center. And so kind of figure out what are the needs of the team from this roster spot. It's going to be a bench bat, perhaps a spot that you don't really care too much defensively about what they can do or where you put them. Mostly you're looking at pinch hitters potentially because, again, that's going to be a key role this year, even more so than it was last year when you had the designated hitter in the National League because now you are going to have those situations come up again with double switching and you know pitchers leaving the game and, and having to pinch hit for them in late innings. And so you're going to want those bench bats that can, can be a bullet for you off the bench when you need a big base knock late in the game. Austin Dean trying to do everything this spring that he can to show – He's he's qualified for that position, but then you've got some other guys, and and you know we talk about infielders, right? It, it seems like there's going to be a spot for an infielder and a spot for an outfielder on the Cardinals bench, and those can kind of you know depending on the specifics of the player, some guys can do both, as we know. We you know we've seen Tommy Edmond, we've talked about his versatility, and the guys who are vying for spots on the the bottom of the roster, 
are basically out to say, hey, where do you want to put me defensively? I'll show you I can do it. You want me to pitch? I can do that too. Uh, Need an emergency catcher? I'm on it. You know, that's got to be the mentality of these players because there's kind of a handful of guys, really. When you look at, we talked about Dean, we talked about Justin Williams, and again, his situation may just be, the Cardinals won't admit that, they wouldn't say it, but honestly, it could come down to whether or not he gets that fourth option because I think if he does, you've got other guys who are forcing the issue maybe uh, that, that could kind of jump the line ahead of Williams. You also have Lane Thomas, who has not had a great spring. He started off pretty hot, but has really cooled of late. And is a guy that I think in conversations about the team, we've kind of assumed that he's going to be uh, as as part of that bench matrix and, and even get some a few starts a week perhaps in the Cardinals outfield. But with the performance not quite being there offensively in the last couple of weeks, you have to wonder, a guy like John Nagowski, he just continues to, to force the issue with what he's done offensively. Take a look at his numbers. Uh, 24 at-bats is what it's showing on Cardinals.com. Guy's got 10 RBIs this spring with a home run and 8 walks in addition. That's a 375 batting average he's sporting, a 531 on base with a 500 slug, and an OPS above 1,000. The guy has gotten on base. I mean, that to me is the number that jumps out. The eight walks leads the Cardinals, it looks like. Quick scan of the numbers this spring. And sure, he's one of the guys that's gotten more you know, plate opportunities. But when you look at 24 at-bats and then tack on the eight walks, so at least 32 plate appearances. Not sure if he's had any sacrifice flies mixed in there. That would impact those numbers. But three strikeouts in like 30, 32 trips to the plate. That's remarkable. That is, I mean, that's exactly the kind of player you want on the bench. I don't care what position he plays. John Nagowski, Cardinals got to find a way to put this guy on the bench. And so let's talk about it. You've got a backup catcher. Let's assume it's Andrew Kisner. I think it should be because I, I we've been doing this for too many years with Andrew Kisner. If he's going to be something, let's see if he can be something. We don't need to protect him and get him more reps in the minors. I'm, I'm, I, for me, I'm past that point. I'd rather him just be on the roster you know, at a moment's notice, I know Yachty's going to play most of the games, but go ahead and have Kisner there. He's a major league player at this point in time, and if he's not, then, you know, reevaluate what we're doing here. I, but for me, I think Kisner can be a major league player and deserves a shot. Uh, Ali Sanchez hasn't really gotten many opportunities this spring, uh, just five at-bats for the Cardinals in, in Grapefruit League play. Uh, looking down the list, Kisner has, has gotten 26. So, to me, he's going to be that backup catcher, I don't think you're going to see the Cardinals stash him again in AAA like has been the temptation when you've had like a Matt Wieters on the roster so you can give Kisner more playing time. I think he's going to be the backup catcher based on the amount of time he's played this spring. That would seem to be the case. So we're just going to assume that, and if we're wrong, we'll talk about it later. So that's one bench spot. You've got eight starters, obviously. I think if, you know, and we talked about Matt Carpenter a lot yesterday. If you missed yesterday's episode, go ahead and check it out. Uh, but for now, we'll assume Matt Carpenter is tentatively one of those bench spots with Edmund being the primary starter at second base. Time will tell what that looks like, but we're just counting up names here, so it doesn't really matter where we put them. Carpenter, Kisner, that's two, plus your eight starters. Now we're up to 10, and 26 is going to be the number on the roster from what I understand, unless something changes. And so if there's the ability to have 14 pitchers, which I believe has been a rule that's been allowed. Like the rules are really unclear. So if I'm, if if you may know more than me on some of this stuff, if I haven't uh, seen a, a release or whatever in the last couple of days, but I assume that 14 pitchers is the way the Cardinals are going to go if they can, because they always like to have more pitchers. 
so it wouldn't be surprising to me if they went 14 and 12 if that's allowable within the rules. I know last year it was 13 and 13, uh, and it was kind of different last year anyway because of the the COVID season. It was supposed to be 13 and 13, but then they had like 28 for a while. Anyway, try to forget about last year as soon as we possibly can, honestly. But if it's 14 12 is the alignment, we've got two more spots to give out on the bench after Kisner or whoever the backup catcher is, and Carpenter, who's going to be there, unless something drastic happens. So I think the alignment will be one outfielder, one infielder. Lane Thomas, I mean, again, the the, the idea of going with 12 instead of 13 on the bench, the more I look at it, the more I wonder if that doesn't cost Lane Thomas at the beginning of the season. You're going to see Lane Thomas. You're going to see all these guys, right? Injuries happen. Things change throughout the course of the summer. But just looking at the decisions the Cardinals got to make here, and we saw John Nagowski in the outfield for the first time this spring. He's been getting some backfield work, according to Mike Schilt. But today, on Tuesday, was the first time we actually saw it in a great Fruit League game. Didn't really get any action out there, but they put him out there. This is the week where you start to see these things, right? Because they're starting to think about, all right, what's the roster actually going to look like? And if we're considering bringing this guy along, we got to actually see where we can feasibly put him. The Cardinals probably hope Nagowski gets three balls today, but you know something hit to him so they can get an idea and gauge whether this is viable in a real game, but they didn't really get a whole lot of info. They've seen him on the backfield, so they're going to be able to make a decision off that. And so they got to, this is where we're at, you know, with Tommy Edmond, he didn't play outfield today. He started at second base, but that's coming as well. And it's probably already happening on the backfields just because they've got to be prepared for these things when the season begins at about a week, but the Gowski's hitting. And for me, for my money, I don't see why you wouldn't want, your best hitters off the bench. You got to find somebody for that. I, I I don't know if it's perfectly accurate, but the Jose Martinez role where late innings, a guy can can face a tough reliever. I think John Nagowski could be that guy for the Cardinals. You got to at least give him a chance to try, in my opinion. So the way I'm looking at this roster, find somewhere for John Nagowski. Figure it out. Find a way to get him on there. I think he could do a nice job off the Cardinals bench. To me, it doesn't really matter what position he plays. Uh, I know you'll need the flexibility as you go along, especially if you're only carrying 12 position players. But his his role is going to be pinch hit. Every game he's going to get in that bat. It's going to come at a key point in the game and, you know, take your shot with him. Don't have to put him in the field after that. But, you know, I can understand the, the temptation to want to have guys that can field multiple positions because flexibility is the name of the game. I get that. But looking at what Nagowski has done offensively, I think – you're going to have to put him in there. Because here are some of your other options, right? Edmundo Sosa kind of becomes a key in all of this. I believe he is out of options. And so that definitely makes a difference when when you talk about at least the way the Cardinals have in the past constructed their bench, right? Like if you look on Fangraphs right now, he's projected to make the bench for sure. Uh, Fangraphs though also projects five players on the bench. That would be 13-13. So if that's the alignment, I think Lane Thomas has no problem. I think Justin Williams is probably there regardless of you know, what happens with his option situation. I guess that's not true. I guess if they go 13-13 and Justin Williams, they find out he does have another option, they'll probably use it. And then that's maybe when you bring up a Nagowski. But Williams, left-handed bat, they would like that off the bench perhaps. Um, you know, he Nagowski plays first base primarily. You don't really need another first baseman. Like, that's not a positional need defensively because Matt Carpenter can do it if you needed to. Uh, and, and hopefully you don't need to because Paul Goldschmidt's your first baseman. But I, I think that so like that's point number one. The option situation's got to be figured out, and you got to figure out are they going thirteen thirteen, are they going fourteen twelve? 
stacking up extra bullpen guys. Something that they've talked about in the past years when we approach this question, it seems like every year, what's the number going to be? Throughout the summer of a regular season, the Cardinals prefer having more pitchers, fewer bench players. But at the beginning of the year, they may think they could get away with it for a bit because of the off days that are always baked into the beginning of the season. So that could have some impact here as well. But talking about Emundo Sosa, conventional wisdom would have told you he's going to be on the bench because he's out of options. And the Cardinals, right or wrong in the past, it's not ever been go ahead and let the guy go out of spring training who's out of options if he didn't have a great spring because you want to have somebody else uh, that you think is is hotter at the plate or could give you more, uh, take that opportunity. That's not usually the way they go, right? And, and perhaps sometimes to the detriment of the team, they bring the guys along that the roster forces them to bring along. And then by May or June, you realize, wow, this was a lot of wasted time because the guy got DFA'd anyway. I'm not saying that's going to be Edmundo Sosa, but look, he's hitting 105 this spring. Uh, that's Matt Carpenter territory. Actually, that's that's got to be better than Matt Carpenter. I don't think I don't know if Carpenter has more than one hit yet. I'm going to try to pull this up real quick to find out. Nope, it's just the one hit for Matt Carpenter in the. Uh, 033 for the batting average. So still not not going in an ideal place for Matt Carpenter. But if you're at Mundo Sosa, right, like you're coming in here trying to earn a job and offensively it just hasn't been there. He's not known as a big offensive presence, uh, a good defensive shortstop. But is that enough? When you've got Tommy Edmond that you presume could play shortstop in the event that you need uh, to give DeYoung a, a, a break or if he gets injured or something and then you can move Carpenter to second. Like, you've got the shifting pieces to do it. I don't think you wanted Mundo Sosa in your lineup, and I don't know, uh, unless he's you know improves offensively, of course, and I, I just don't know that you want to devote a bench spot to that when the upside seems pretty capped. Whereas a guy like Jose Rondon, uh, Max Moroff, a couple guys that, you know, second baseman more so, I don't know that either – are, are projected to be shortstops, but offensively what they've brought to the table, you'd love to have that off your bench if you're looking to add another infielder uh, to, to the mix. Moroff, uh, off, pardon me, 971 OPS this spring. Jose Rondon, 1101 OPS. Both of them have had 19 at-bats and are, are you know tearing the cover off the ball. Showing some pop, some stuff that you like to see, and, and you know you'd like to have that off your bench. And so I think those are two guys, and, and Moroff and Rondon, that were not considered really, you know, they talk about competition in spring all the time, but you can usually kind of, if you, if you take a look ahead and parse things out, you can kind of figure based on uh, what the roster dictates, right, who's going to be on it, what what the rules are, who are we not going to want to lose to lose to waivers, we got to do this or that based on that. I, would the Cardinals decide to say, hey, look, you know, these guys, we talk about competition, they need to be on our bench, or would they do kind of conventionally what we expect and have Edmundo Sosa be on the bench, and then, you know, a few weeks into the season, maybe that changes and, and, and you know, they decide to go a different route eventually. But it's almost like at the end of spring training, they're never ready to make that kind of bold decision based off of spring stats. I, to me, I'm not advoc- I'm not going to advocate to DFA a guy or anything like that. But, you know, in reality, you'd have to pass someone through waivers if they're out of options. That's just the way it goes. But sometimes I think, you know, if we talk about spring competition the way the Cardinals do, sometimes you have to go with the guys who are actually producing. And so... In the case of a competition for a last infield spot, if that's the way it goes, uh, I would say Moroff and Rondon both deserve some consideration. I mean, Mike Schultz was asked about it today. Like, those are the guys competing for bench spots that are performing in the ninth for you today as part of that rally. You know, what does that say about this competition? Well, yeah, you love to see it. Moroff got a walk. Uh, Nagowski drew a walk. Rondon hit an RBI single 
to uh, to score the tying run. And then Edmundo Sosa had his chance, grounded out to end the end the game with a tie. So I'm I'm not trying to rip on a guy like Sosa here. I know he's a defense first player. Cardinals are going to have to decide what they value the most of those bench spots, especially if they only decide to go with four in a total of 12 at the position player route. So that's really going to be what it boils down to. But my only firm takeaway, Nagowski's got to be on that bench. I wouldn't be surprised if Lane Thomas, depending on the uh, Justin Williams situation, if Lane Thomas actually doesn't start out with the Cardinals, which wouldn't have been something I would have said you know a few weeks ago. But when, it, when you boil down to it, hear about what the Cardinals are talking about, I don't think it's impossible that that wouldn't be the case. I would say of the two guys that could potentially be out of options, talking about Sosa and Williams, one infielder, one an outfielder, I would say that Williams is more likely to be uh, the, the guy that makes sense to to not give up on just yet. You may pass Edmundo Sosa through waivers okay, and you may not have to worry about it, but uh, I know he's a guy that they've liked as well, so they're going to think long and hard before they make that consideration. And if it's just the last bench spot and it doesn't cost you anything, to, to option more off and to option Rondon, you know, maybe that's what they do as well. So, and, and some of these and these guys too, though, minor league free agents, so I don't really know what the status is if you can just option them or you're passing them through waivers anyway. Uh, you know, Rondon is like 27 years old, so it's not like he's 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 brand new and, and you know, a, a young, you know, 22-year-old that's never gotten a chance before. But it doesn't mean you want to just – Cast him aside if he's performing in spring. Like, what is the competition about? Why do we have it? Same thing with Max Moroff, 27 years old, almost 28. Both these guys, non-roster guys, can they find a spot for him? Either of them you could make an argument for. But I, I think what it boils down to is it would just be really disappointing as if in July we're talking about, you know, wonder what Moroff or Rondon could have done if the Cardinals would have added either of those to the bench. And maybe they'll be on other teams, maybe in the big leagues, maybe not. By that point in time, if they don't get added, maybe they'll be in the minors for the Cardinals if they accept that assignment, you know. But um, that would kind of be a, a, a difficult pill to swallow if ultimately the way it goes is middle of the season, Edmundo Sosa not performing at the majors, and then they get rid of him that way or DFA in that way. Um, could be interesting to see. That's kind of the way I see the bench shaking out, though. Uh, just kind of my impressions, anyway. Nothing firm. If, if if you know if it were my if it were me making the choice, Nagowski would be there, and then. Yeah, it matters what happens to Justin Williams. Mike Schultz says it doesn't. I I don't know how it could not because I know that the Cardinals value making sure they can hang on to these guys to get a chance to see what they can do, and they're going to use the roster rules to their benefit to that end. So if they have the chance to send Williams down and they think somebody else could give him more of a push off the bench early in the season, then that's the way they're going to go. Uh, But if they can't option him without having to expose him to waivers, he's going to be there. I, I would be surprised otherwise. And, you know, with, with the versatility of an Edmund and having, you know, Carpenter's versatility, even though it, it's not necessarily elite defense at any of the spots, you know he can play all those spots, second, first, third. Edmund can play second, can play short. Do you need a defense first infielder on the end of your bench, especially if you're only allocating four spots to that bench? I don't know if you do. And so that'll be – we're going we're gonna to see the Cardinals have to make a decision on that. And uh, we'll be able to talk about which way they go after it happens. It'll be intriguing. But I think in a perfect world, the Cardinals would have liked to have seen Edmundo Sosa do a little bit more offensively this spring to at least you know, make what was already going to be their natural inclination to include him. It would have made it a lot easier. But when you've got all these other guys that are OPSing 830 and you know, Austin Dean positionally, again, he's kind of like Nikowski. Where's he going to fit? But if he's the bat off the bench that they like, maybe they find a way to put him on there, you know. 
And then you've got these other middle infielders as non-roster guys that are performing really well offensively in spring. And so that's going to force the issue a little bit to see uh, how the Cardinals want to go with that, for sure. Got a voice message asking about the pitching staff. Probably going to save that one for tomorrow because I got another voice message shifting gears a little bit. It was asking me about Mizzou basketball. I have some thoughts on that, so I'm going to play this message from Will asking about the Tigers, who, of course, lost in the NCAA tournament to Oklahoma in that 8-9 game, came really close to winning the game. I, as a Mizzou fan, you guys know me. If you know me on Twitter, at bshafer12, uh, you know, definitely a Mizzou guy. And I thought during that game they really had a chance to win it. Played pretty clean for the most part, but, you know, some some just things happen down the stretch where you, you don't get enough points, you don't get enough buckets when you need them, and it just went the other way. So I'm going to play this message from Will and then kind of give my thoughts on uh, – Tigers loss in the NCAA tournament, and then certainly some news that we've had since then going forward about Mizzou basketball. Hey, Brendan, wanting to get your Mizzou basketball thoughts. Um, Really wish we would have gotten the opportunity to see Mizzou get smoked by Gonzaga. Um, But I'm kind of upset that Conzo didn't play Parker Braun at all. I may be alone on this opinion, but I'm a big Parker Braun fan and what he's demonstrated this year I mean I think he would have been a good matchup against Brady Manick I mean nobody else was um, gives it all on defense uh, runs the floor and a decent three-point shooter I mean he and Mitchell Smith are kind of similar but Mitchell Smith had open three-point looks and didn't have the confidence to take them and I where I think Parker Braun would have taken those chances um also, bum Xavier Pinson didn't have a good game, but want to get your thoughts on the game. Thanks. And I appreciate the Mizzou Hoops question from Will because it kind of gives me a chance to spout off a little bit about the Tigers. Uh, look, what he mentioned there first at, at the very end, you know, Xavier Pinson, when you have a game coming down to the wire and you've got one possession to make it happen, I really thought the Tigers were going to get it done in that final possession when, you know, it looked like they were down by too many possessions and then they're starting to claw their way back. Oklahoma misses a free throw, and you've got the ball with a chance to, to either tie or take the lead. I can't remember if they were down by two or three at the time. But at any rate, it was within a possession, and, and you got I think you got to get a three off at that point was the situation. And they've got the ball in the hand of Drew Bugs, and, you know, I like Drew Bugs, a fine player, but for me, with the, with the game on the line and you need a playmaker, either you had to hit the three early or at least like set up a good three, or you had to drive the basket instantly because that's okay. If you take the two points, if that's what they're giving you, go ahead and make them you know, shoot free throws and then come down and try to do it one more time to tie or win the game, depending on how the free throws go, because they had that kind of time on that last possession. Pinson wasn't even on the floor. And among the Zoo basketball fans, you can find opinions ranging in either direction of Pinson had to be there, and people said, ah, don't you watch the game? Pinson, Pinson was playing terribly down the stretch, and he had a bad game. We hardly played, uh, and he wasn't doing the kind of things that I've seen earlier in the season Pinson do where he's just out of control to such an extent that you've got to kind of take him out of the game and calm him down. But I just I don't agree with Pinson not being in the game down the stretch, and I, don't, I do not agree at all. You can't dispute this at all. Jeremiah Tillman not being in the game for key parts as Oklahoma started to kind of run away with that thing in the final few minutes because he had four fouls. Who cares? It's just, he's a college senior. It's his last game. Let him foul out of it. Don't foul him out. As Conzo Martin and I, you've seen my tweets. If you follow me on Twitter about Conzo Martin, I'm not saying the guy should be fired. I'm su- I'm a supporter of his. If he can find a way to get it done and, and rejuvenate this roster a little bit, that's going to be the key. 
you know, making the NCAA tournament was nice. You'd like to be able to win a game in the NCAA tournament at some point, but you can't have this be like the pinnacle. And then, well, now we got to rebuild for two or three more years because we're losing all our seniors. And now Xavier Pinson has entered the transfer portal, which didn't play the final six minutes of the NCAA tournament game as a junior, as the, the point guard and the guy who can make the team go when he's right. I just don't agree with, with that. But clearly there was something beneath the surface with him and Conzo, and they, they weren't on the same page. And so after that, and I'm thinking about the loss and seeing that Pinson wasn't in the game down the stretch, yeah, to me it was obvious he was going to transfer at that point. Like I, I don't follow the message boards and stuff. I'm not on all that because it's too much for me. Uh, I'll, I'll just drive myself crazy worrying about it, honestly. So I just kind of hands off, watch the games, follow the team, and rather than try to get into the interpersonal stuff with whether a guy likes the coach or not, because I always like to think everybody likes the coach and it's all wonderful. I know it's not that way. I'm, you know, I've, I've been in a baseball clubhouse, but when it comes to Mizzou basketball, I just try to, I try to. It's hard for me to be level-headed, and so by not reading into every little thing, I, it allows me to kind of have a better temperament about the team. But clearly, at that point in time, when he's not playing the final six minutes or whatever it was, and he's your he's your he's your point guard. I know he's got his issues, out of control sometimes. But rather than I think that I can criticize Conzo for sure. It doesn't mean I think he should be fired instantly. I think he deserves the opportunity after leading them to the tournament this year to rebuild the roster. But that's going to be easier said than done because you do lose a lot of seniors and now you lose Pinson. You don't have a whole lot of talent returning. And I'm not naive enough to believe that it's not impossible. You know, other guys could transfer out too. And then what are you left with? I don't accept that and say, well, you know, we lost all these guys. We got to have a few years now to rebuild. That's not the way it works. It, it, It shouldn't be anyway. Like you're the one that controls the roster. So I'm going to be tough on Conzo when, when I believe it is warranted and, and I'll give him a pass where I believe it's warranted. And I think he's a good leader of men. I think he's done some great things over the past calendar year leading this basketball team. I think his in-game coaching, I could say needs work, but he's a veteran at this. He's been at this for a long time. He doesn't always seem to know when to call a timeout. He doesn't know uh, when, when the team just needs that little reset and, and that's cost him at points. And I think with the, the Pinson thing, it's like the guy needed a reset. He didn't need to be taken out of the game and taken out of the flow of the game. And that's kind of what Conzo did in that situation. And, you know, I don't know if it's the reason they lost, but I, I think it definitely contributes to uh, making making the climb back pretty difficult. Same thing with Tillman. Guy's got four fouls. Who cares? As the coach, you don't foul a guy out. You know, if he's your best player, go ahead and take your shot. You don't need him for the last two minutes when you're only down, down by eight points. Try to get him in there when you're down by two or three points and see if you can take a lead. So I don't understand that. Don't agree with it. Doesn't mean I think Conzo needs to be fired at this point, but uh, certainly you look at the cupboard, it, it's starting to look a little bit barren, and we'll see what he can do on, on the recruiting trail. I know that it's coming up about you know questions of whether he would take another job or whether Mizzou should fire him, which evidently with whatever his contract situation is, they can't fire him because I don't know whoever his agent is must have done a really great job. With this extension that they're talking about potentially doing with Conzo, if they do extend him, you can't have that same deal where it's like we're not allowed to fire you because the way college coaching works is guys get fired all the time and you know they make buku money to, to go away. But Mizzou has got to be allowed to to do that. Don't don't negotiate that into the next contract because if it's a four, six-year extension, whatever it is, if in two years he hasn't recruited and is not in the NCAA tournament, yeah, you, you the expectations should be higher for Missouri basketball than that. I'm not one of the crazies that thinks we should be competing on a national scale and, and you know winning a title every other year, but you've got to at least 
be regulars in the NCAA tournament, and then at some point start to win some games, right? Like, it's people, and I've seen it out there, I'm not going to mention any names, but there are people who talk about, you know, the job he inherited and, you know, Kim Anderson this and that. That's great, and I don't disagree with any of it, but that was like four years ago. You know, the Michael Porter thing happened. They got that recruiting class that really jumpstart them and put them ahead of what the rebuild would have been. But you, you don't don't tell me that, you know, in college sports, football or basketball, honestly, don't tell me that you can't turn something around quicker than that and, and blame your predecessor because of, you know, what they did or didn't do. Alabama, Look at Alabama basketball. Nate Oates, I think, is in his, like, second or third year, and they're already, you know, a premier program in the country this year trying to win a title in the Sweet 16, definitely have a chance to do it. So I, I think we need to step back a little bit on the idea that it takes, a, a, you know, a decade to get to get a program restarted. Conzo's done an okay job. I'm not going to say he's done a great job. I, I'm satisfied to know that he's not one of those Kansas, you know, programs that are going to cheat their way to success. And if you're a KU fan, I'm sorry, but I mean the the violations and stuff that it appears that they have done uh, and, and are under investigation for. I'm pretty confident Conzo's not that guy. He's not Frank Haith. He's not. He's not one of those guys. And so that's comforting as a fan to know you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff with Conzo. But you also would like to win some more basketball games. And so, yeah, to, to Will's point, disappointed about Pinson not, you know, being able to get it done. Definitely have some questions about, you know, the, the, the rotation. Parker Brown is somebody that he mentioned. I think Parker Brown is one guy that I'm at least excited about for next year. I know that he, you know, is not maybe a perennial star in this league in the SEC, but I think if he's a starter and you get a chance to see what he can do, uh, you know, he's at least let the guy play. Like, they're going to have no other choice, obviously. But, yeah, it's a little con- confusing that maybe he didn't get some opportunities when other guys looked a little bit tentative. I think that's a fair way to describe it and talk about Mitchell Smith not really taking the opportunities. Look, he's not a three-point shooter. Uh, Kobe Brown's a player that I like really. I hope he doesn't go anywhere. I think he was only a sophomore. Uh, and he hit a couple of big threes in that game when he's really not a three-point shooter as a, the primary part of his game. But he took the shots when he had him, and he knocked down a couple, and that was cool to see. Uh, cool to see Mark Smith, by the way, get off to such a hot start in that game. Would have liked to see him you know, continue that, all the guys to continue that, to get one more point than OU at the end. But for the tough year that he had, it was really cool to, at least at the beginning of that game, see Mark Smith lighten it up from three. I think he hit his first three attempts. But, you know, it's just... As a unit, as that game went along, I don't think Conzo really pressed the right buttons to be able to get the the personnel in there that they needed to be able to make that run on Oklahoma uh, to be able to solidify that win. Uh, I think as a unit, they were just a little bit tentative. And look, that was a criticism that I've had in past years of Mizzou teams, Uh, whether it's Conzo, under Kim Anderson, it doesn't matter who it was under. It always seems like in the final few minutes, they would find a way to make games that should have been blowouts in their favor close. And sometimes they'd win them, sometimes they'd lose them. More often than not, they'd lose them in past years. And and they'd find ways to, to make games that were close. You know, they fall out of them late. It's like they tense up in the final few minutes. That's not something that happened over the course of the season. They won those close games. They still did it, right? They still ended up making games that were in control into some absolute scary situations. Talking about the Alabama win, the Kentucky game. I can go on and on. But in this one, they really never, like, did stupid stuff where, like, I had to turn it off. Normally, I'm turning off games because I need to pause myself. Like, it's too much to handle it. Because basketball, college basketball is such a back-and-forth, up-and-down game. I was able to sit and watch this whole game and say, they're going to punch, we're going to punch back, it's going to be a back-and-forth kind of game. Let's just limit the mistakes. And they really didn't make too many mistakes that really cost them. I didn't notice that, you know, first of all, there weren't many free throws shot. So that it was hard to lose the game at the line. They missed a couple, but... 
but by and large, that was it wasn't like they just oh yeah we played good for X amount of minutes and then we just you were terrible. It really wasn't the way that that game went. It just they didn't quite have enough, and it almost was like they didn't have the killer instinct that I think they could have had, and they were kind of playing in, in some kind of middle ground. They really made it uh, made a run at the end. Drew Smith, absolute stud, enjoyed watching him at Mizzou. Uh, another guy who's a senior and going to be gone now, but. Uh, you know, it's just the way it goes. I'm certainly going to be looking forward for Mizzou basketball, see what they are able to do in the uh, the offseason. Going to have to do some recruiting. Uh, but Mizzou football, like that guy, keep keep a hold of that guy, Eli Drinkwitz, because he showed you, look, it doesn't take forever to turn a program around. I think the program was in dire straits with Barry Odom. Wasn't a fan of his head coaching abilities, um, you know, in-game or otherwise. And, uh, you know, defensive coordinator, great. As a head coach, not my cup of tea. And we thought, man, this is going to take some years to get Mizzou back to respectability. And they qualified for a bowl game in the first year with Drinkwitz. And the recruiting class is, is off the charts compared to what it had been in previous years. So we'd like to see Conzo figure out a way to inject some energy like that rather than make it feel like, you know, you got the Michael Porter class and then from there it's kind of a gradual slope into disappointment. Got to find some some local players. Got to try to re- rejuvenate the program a little bit uh, to get it to that next tier. Like I said, Mizzou does not have to perennially be a Final Four contender that, you know, we're Mizzou. I get it. You know, you got to build that. That doesn't happen overnight for you to become Kansas or, you know, whomever. And I hate to give a compliment to Kansas, but, you know, Duke, North Carolina, those schools that Kentucky, those are the expectations. You're not getting those one-and-done kind of guys. So you got to build the program and losing a lot of seniors now, he you know he built the program. Definitely had uh, you know a, a good group of players here, but now you've got to redo that. And I don't think there should be any leeway to say, yeah, if it takes two or three more years of of losing to get it back, that's okay. You got to jumpstart it a little bit quicker. Maybe find somebody else, uh, somebody else who can. So going to be interesting to see how they re- react to the Pinson situation, whether any other players transfer out of the program and where they go from here. But appreciate the question from Will because it gives me a chance to talk some Mizzou hoops, which I definitely enjoy doing in addition to Cardinals baseball. But we'll be talking more Cardinals on the show coming up, obviously a week away from spring training ending and the regular season beginning. Make sure to subscribe to the show at B-Shafe Daily on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you could find your podcast. Go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 to find the platforms uh, where B-Shafe Daily is found. And then if you want to message us like you heard Will do for today's show, and we've got another one for tomorrow asking about the Cardinals' uh, pitching depth, which we're going to get into tomorrow in, in that show, you can do that by going to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. Play your message right there. Record it using your phone, microphone, whatever you want to do. Try to pump up the volume a little bit, and we'll make sure to get your voice on the show, and I'll answer your questions, comments, and concerns that you have, whether it's St. Louis Cardinals or otherwise, glad to talk about it. So appreciate you guys for listening to this edition of Be Shaped Daily, and we'll talk to you next time.